Before Easter, we've been following the journeys of Paul through the book of Acts, and we're going to read the Scriptures again today. We're back into Acts just for two weeks. Um, Frustratingly, we couldn't quite make the series all sort of stop before Easter and then start again after Easter, so we're picking up uh, just for two weeks uh, the, the last two chapters of the book of Acts Today, uh, Acts 27, tremendous story of Paul sailing for Rome and being shipwrecked and the care of God in the midst of that experience. We're not going to read the whole chapter, it's a long chapter, but uh, we're going to read from verse 13 to verse 37. So, uh, Acts chapter 27 from verse 13. If you've got a, a Red Pew Bible, it's page 1125, page one one. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed the lay of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the uh, the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, 
He took some of the bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us His Word. John. Super. Well, let's open our Bibles to Acts 27 this morning. As we think about this passage, Acts chapter 27, please do come with me to it. And as Nigel has read for us, we, we pick up this piece, a very dramatic piece of the story of what's going on in the, in the life of Paul. And he is in the most difficult of situations. And the question for us this morning as we come to this passage is simply this, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? What we read about here for Paul, it's, it's totally dramatic. We can think of it as being distant and outside of ourselves, but put yourself right into the midst of this story. If you imagine it being played out on a, on a screen before us, if Hollywood picked up Acts chapter 27, I think it would make a great film for us. And in the midst of it all, it's not just this little, this little rough sea that they happen to be on. It's not that they're out uh, on the, the swans in Bangor or the, the swans up at Newcastle and, and things are blowing them about a little bit. This boat, this ship, the 276 souls that are on board are in a dire situation. It's, it's an awful situation for them. But the question stands for us. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? What could cause your faith this morning to fail? If you're a Christian, what could cause your faith to fail? What, what situation that would come into your life, it's very unlikely that you're going to be in a, a, as a dramatic a situation as this on the sea, but in a different sense, there are going to be many storms that blew into your life, many different situations. What could cause your faith to fail? What storm would be too much what storm would throw you and your faith into jeopardy? What, what would it take to come into your life to change and, and distort your view of God? What would cause you to question the goodness of God? As we were thinking a little bit about with the boys and girls, what would rock you this morning in your faith? Because the truth is that the clouds will roll in if they haven't already and the darkness will come, the trouble will arrive, the bad news will descend upon us. So, what will we hold on to? What will sustain us through the storms? Well, that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning. For Paul here in Acts, things had been incredibly difficult. And you think as we get to Acts 27, well, he's been in jail for two years. It couldn't get much worse for him. And then he finds himself on this ship. It's, it's disaster after disaster for him, isn't it? It's, it's recorded for us something of his difficulties in 2 Corinthians and in chapter 11. And listen to this. Listen to the, the storms that come into his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
Five. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. And I have labored and toiled, and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Well, life seems pretty straightforward after that, doesn't it? Five times he's been lashed. Three times he's been beaten with rods. Once he's been stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. And that's before this encounter. And yet, what does he do through it all? Paul is relentless. Relentless in doing what? Relentless in living his life for Jesus. Whatever comes into his life, he doesn't let it batter him or beat him down. Even in the most difficult of situations, what does he do? He holds tight to Jesus to live as Christ and to die as gain. No sense of selfishness in it all. No sense of living for me, myself, and I. But Jesus, I'm going to live for you. You are the potter, Lord, and I am the clay. And whatever way you poke me or put your finger upon me, whatever situation you you put me into, I might not understand it, but what am I going to do? I'm going to be faithful for you. I'm going to tell people about you. Because you are our only hope. You're what life's really all about. So what enables Paul to stand? Well, it's his knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about it, I want us to think of it under two headings, and I want us to take this this morning and build it into us so that we're ready for the storms. It's as if we're we're shoring up our lives, ready for what's going to come our way, or maybe what we're in the midst of facing. So two things this morning, and the first is this, that as we face the storms of life, we can have confidence. We can be confident in God's sovereignty. Very simple confident in God's sovereignty. It's from verses 13 through to verses 20. Perhaps whenever you were younger, you you sang the little song, uh, with Jesus in the boat, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home, right? With Jesus, I'm going to do the little actions. With Jesus in the boat, we can smile at the storm, smile at the storm, smile at the storm. With Jesus in the boat, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home. Now, I looked this up online, and there are different versions of that song. Sometimes we sing it. We can smile at the storm as we go through the storm. That's very different because Jesus is with us through the storm. But some sing, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing by. And as Christians, what do we need to know? We need to know that God will not insulate us 
from the storms of life. There's no, there's no promise that the Lord is going to keep us from the storms. We're not going to go sailing by, smiling at the storms, waving at them. But instead, what does the Scriptures teach us? That in the fire and in the flood, in the storms of life, the Lord does promise to be right there with us. He doesn't promise to insulate us from them, but He promises to be with us in the midst of them. The one who is sovereign and in control. And that gives us confidence. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 says this, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I am convinced that He is able to keep me, to guard me, to be with me every step of the way. But let, let's slow down for a little moment and go into the details of this story. It's a, it's a true account of what happened. It's been assessed, and uh, skeptics have pulled it apart, and they cannot find flaws in it. So let's slow down. Look at verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, there's this, there's this slow start to the storm. But then look at verse 19. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. They're now into the storm three days, and it hasn't let up. Three days they've been there. And look at verse 20. The sun nor the stars had appeared for many days. This is the darkest of storms. They can't even see the sun. They can't see the stars at night. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on until in verse 20, what's their conclusion? All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. You can imagine this ship, all 276 of them, trying their best. They're with the buckets. They're trying to tie the ropes. They're, they're, they're doing everything that they can to keep this ship going. Three days of utter darkness in the midst of the storm. No let up, no relief, not even a shaft of light, wave after wave crashing upon them. It's the most perilous of situations. And I think as we move through Acts, what do we see? We see a heightening of situations in Paul's life. Trial after trial. Maybe he'll give up this time. Maybe he'll, he'll give his faith over this time. Maybe he'll say, Lord, I'm not convinced anymore that you are good. And yet time and time and time again, what does he do? He relies on the Lord. There's a little echo, isn't there, almost of Job's life here? As situations get worse and worse for him, he still confesses his hope in the Lord. And so Paul here finds himself in this situation where he's totally out of control. In the other situations, whenever he's before the courts, what have we witnessed? Well, Paul at least has his mouth and his intellect to be able to use that to try and escape the situation or to try and get around the situation. But here, all of his faculties are redundant. He's totally out of control. He's totally exposed. So why doesn't Paul throw his hands up. Why doesn't he turn his back on the Lord? Well, he has confidence. Confidence that the Lord is sovereign. So, if you come back a few pages into Acts 23, 
In Acts 23, something really, really important happens. The Lord speaks to Paul in Acts 23 and in verse 11. Acts 23, verse 11, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. You must testify in Jerusalem and in Rome. And where's Paul, as this starts to unfold, he's on his way to Rome. And what does he know? He knows that the Lord has given that to him. He knows that the Lord has said it to him, and he trusts the Lord even in the midst of what seems like, seems like he's going to face death, impending death, sure death. He's still trusting the Lord's Word to him, confident in the Lord's sovereignty. But then look at the grace that the Lord gives to him. Verse 23 in our passage in, verse 20, in chapter 27, chapter 27, verse 23, in case Paul had forgotten those words. Verse 23, for this very night, he says, there stood before me an angel of God, of whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. They're words of grace for Paul, aren't they? In the midst of this storm, do not be afraid, Paul you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. The Lord comes. And in the midst of the storm, it's as if His hand comes onto His back and He says, Paul, do not be afraid. I am with you. I'm with you in this. I will not leave you. Remember the words of chapter 23. I, I've got a plan for you. There's something that I need you to do. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. I am with you. So will Paul walk away or will he follow the Lord? Will he say to the Lord, Lord, I'll follow you here and then no further. This is the limit to where I'll follow you and then I can't go anymore. Well, no, he doesn't. I think what we see in Acts 27 is the, the utter humility of a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of my plans and hopes, all of my ambitions, all of my dreams, what does Paul do with them? He, he just holds them in his hands before the Lord. Lord, I am yours. Take me and use me. If that's in the middle of a, of a storm at sea with 276 souls, how I got myself onto this boat, I, I don't know, but I'm trusting you. Why am I on it? I don't know. Would I rather be somewhere else with the, the believers in a house church breaking bread with them? Well, of course I would rather be there, but you know what? It's not my will. It's your will, Lord. Your will be done. You take me and you use me wherever it is that you're going to place me. Whatever difficulty is going to come into my life, I know that you will be here. But I wonder, are those words a temptation for us? Lord, I'll follow you to this point and then no further. Lord, I'll follow you until, until this point in my life. If this certain situation arises, then I'll follow you to that point and then no further. If this storm comes into my life, then I'll question you and question your goodness and question what you're doing in my life. Or will we, 
have our hands open and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to live for you. Because Jesus either means all or he means nothing at all. And so I'm going to live for you, Jesus. You're the one who has saved me. And so I am yours. Here's, here's how Charles Spurgeon puts it, and I think this will be helpful for us. As we think about God's sovereignty, uh, Him being in control, Him being the, the potter and us being the clay, Spurgeon says this, he says, the sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. And so in life, as believers, whenever we go on to a bed at the end of our lives, or we're facing sickness, or we're drawn alongside someone in our family, some of our most loved people, what do we have to cling on to? Well, we can't just have a stiff upper lip. We can't just be stoic and think, oh, well, well, I'll just be really hard in this situation and it'll all be okay. I'll close my eyes and cross my fingers and hope. What does the Christian need to know? We need to know that God is sovereign and He's in control and that He is good and that He holds us fast. And see the joy it brings, Paul? even in the midst of the storm. And what does he do as, as he takes this sovereignty of the Lord? What does he do? He, he moves and he shifts into service of the Lord. The Lord is sovereign. Paul is faithful. Eric Alexander on this passage says this. He says, Paul is immortal until his work is done. Isn't that a lovely thought? He's totally immortal. The Lord has set a work for him to do in chapter 23, and until that work is complete, he's immortal. Now, that doesn't mean he's reckless, because at the start of chapter 27, he says, men, we should not set sail. This is not the right time to set sail. But in a sense, he's immortal until his work is done. And so too it is for us as Christians under the sovereignty of the Lord. There's a work for us to do, and the Lord will drive us into that work. He'll pull us into that work, and we are immortal until that work is done. Not until our jobs are finished on this earth as Christians will the Lord say, come to me and rest. And so the wind and the waves will not overcome God's plan. Nothing in this world could overcome God's plan, what the Lord had destined for His servant to do. And so we can have confidence. And what Jesus promises is that He will be present with us, with us to the end, a job for us to do, and then He will take us home. He'll call us out of the field and He'll say, come and rest. Come and eat. Come and be with me. And so again, another really helpful line that I came across was from J.I. Packer. And Packer says this, Jim Packer says this, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the Christian rests his head at night, giving him perfect peace. Isn't that what we need? As we switch off the lights and our anxiety flares up and all of, the, all of the things pile into our heads, what do we need? The sovereignty of the Lord, the pillow on which the Christian rests his head or her head at night, 
giving us perfect peace. God has a plan, and God has a purpose for Paul and for each of his children. And that gives us great confidence. Then secondly, what does Paul have confidence in? He has confidence in God's Word, verses 21 through 26. He's confident in the Lord's sovereignty, and he's confident in His Word. Verse 22, take heart, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Take heart, Verse 24, Paul is told you'll have to stand before Caesar. Verse 24, the Lord grants to him all who seal with him that none will be lost. Verse 25, keep the men encouraged. Men, be encouraged because the Lord has given me his word. I don't stand on a hope. I don't stand on, on something that's fluffy or insignificant. I stand on the word of God, confident in the word the sovereign hand of God restating His promises in the midst of the storm, the Lord's Word being brought through the Lord's messenger in the time of need. And so the Word of the Lord comes to these men and to the people on the ship, and what does it do? It fortifies them, it enriches them, it enables them to withstand the storm. God speaking, and God not silent. God speaking, and God not silent. And so for us, in the midst of storms that we face, what's the temptation? The temptation is often to let go, to be washed out, to drift away. And yet what happens? The Lord often through His sovereignty brings His Word into our life through a sermon or through a daily reading, or through someone sending a text message of a verse to us, through, through our, our Bible reading notes, through a podcast or something that we listen to, the Lord bringing His Word back into our lives to give us confidence to sustain us through the midst of the storm, to give us light in the midst of the darkness. When the waves crash in, His Word bringing us light. And where can we go today? in the midst of all that we face, in the midst of the storms perhaps that you're going through right now this morning, where do you need to run? Well, you need to run into the sovereign arms of our God, and we need to trust ourselves to Him again, and then we need to get into His Word. Lord, give me Your Word. Give me the promises of Your Word again. Lord, I, I know them. I've heard them from as a child, but I need them again. I need to read these words I need you through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to print them into my heart, to sustain me through the storm. And as we draw to a close, what, what, what happens in this passage? Well, it's really grace throughout the passage. Because look at verse 9 of chapter 27. Much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. 
The word of the Lord appears to them and comes to them through the Lord's messenger, through the godly wisdom and advice of the messenger in verses 10 and verses into verse 10 and then into verse 11. What happens? Verse 11, the centurion paid no more attention. He pays attention to the pilot and not the Paul. And they, they turn their back, as it were, on the Lord's Word, and they head off. And so what we should see in this passage, we should read it, and we should expect the centurion and the sailors and, and everyone else to be destroyed, and, and Paul to be floating on this little piece of wood safe. Everybody else destroyed, because they turned their back on the Lord's Word. And yet what we see is grace. Grace that the Lord comes to them, Grace that the Lord gives them a message in the midst of the storm. Grace that the Lord keeps them. And then come with me to verse 44. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So it was that all were brought safely to land. God was addressing these men, and they paid Him no attention. For each of us here today, we must take heed to the Lord's Word to us. We must pay careful attention to what the Lord is saying to us. For the Lord saying to us, Trust me today. I am the sovereign one. Put your life into my hands and serve me. Trust me and trust my word. Listen to my word. Take heed to my word. Don't disregard the word of the Lord. Because what happens whenever these men disregard the word of the Lord? They don't go into a, a nice little plain sailing place. They go right into the midst of the tempest right into the midst of the greatest storm that they've ever faced. And they go into that storm, and without the Lord, they're alone, and they have no hope. Death is certain. And so it is for us. Those of us who will ignore the voice of the Lord, what do we do as it were? We head straight into the storm, straight into the tempest. And today, today is, is the middle part of this passage. There is grace for us today. There's grace being extended, a, a word again coming from the Lord, an opportunity to be saved, as it were, to come safely to land, but to turn our back on it, to not take heed of the Lord's word again this morning would to be what? Would to be throwing ourselves into the midst of the tempest saying, Lord, I don't need to be obedient to you. I'll go my own way. I'll do things my way. But it's God's grace in this passage. Look at verse 29. We're not quite sure what the depth of it is, but in verse 29, there seems to be a change in the men because they pray. They pray to the Lord. It's a little bit like Jonah at this point, isn't it? The Lord's messenger on the ship. The Lord's word comes to them, and the men seem to turn, and these men seem to turn through the ministry of Paul, through the word of the Lord, and they seem to, in some sense, trust him and trust the, the Lord that he serves, the God that he worships. There's a change. It's amazing grace. 
Amazing grace for the people upon this ship. But here's a little detail. Look at verse 13 again. In verse 13, what happens? The, the wind blew gently. Isn't that how the storm started? It blew gently. And so for some of us here today, perhaps we started off and, and we thought going our own way would be perfect, but, but the wind has started to blow gently. Taking us into storms of life. And the question is, have you an anchor in the middle of it all? We'll not be insulated from storms as Christians, but we're confident in the Lord's sovereignty. We're confident in His Word that He will be right here with us. But if we're not a Christian this morning, then what's our anchor? What will hold us fast? What is our hope? This morning, see the Lord's Word to us, and you've maybe started to drift. You've drifted away from Him slowly like this wind, and now you're far, far away from Him. It's darkness all around you in your life as, as such. His grace comes and says, take heart. You can be saved. You can know me. Verse 24, I want that, those words to be true for each of us here today. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But they'll only be true for those who are Christians. So have you an anchor? And as we think about the anchor, I want you to imagine that those two points are the, are the two uh, sort of hooks that come out from the anchor. On one side, God's sovereignty, confident in it. And on the other side, the other hook of the anchor, confident in God's Word for all that we can face. And so, with these words we close, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. May that be the case for each of us here this morning.